0: We're going to be in Acts chapter 17. If you want to go there, you can. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry about it. You'll see the words on the screen behind me. So thanks again, though, for being here this morning. I hope this will help. I think this morning's going to feel a little different, Um, maybe less inspiration, more just instruction, more just principles. If you're a note taker, you might write this down. I was trying to think of a metaphor for this, and I think most of my sermons correct me if I'm wrong. I think most of my sermons probably feel like you're driving with the top down and the wind going through your hair, right? That's how you feel when you leave here. This morning's not going to feel like that. It's going <laughs> to feel like I'm giving you the keys to the car. I'm showing you how to work the clutch. You're, I'm going to hope you're going to go and drive it yourself after this. Okay, how's that for a setup? Right. Um, this, I was looking out here and a couple of people with bald heads just caught my attention, so I'm sorry the wind doesn't blow through your hair like that. Probably won't this morning either, so. Come with me here. This is in Acts 17, starting in verse 10. This, this passage doesn't need a lot of setup. It'll make sense to you. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas, early missionaries, sent them away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, The Thessalonians had just run Paul and Silas out of town. They were of more noble character than them. Why? For they received the message, literally the word. They received the word with great eagerness. And they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of their prominent Greek women and many Greek men. If you'll go back one slide to the the beginning of this scripture, I love that phrase, they were of more noble character. Uh, You know, if you've been around Highland Long, our oldest son is named Noble, okay? And that was an aspirational naming, okay? Like we we wanted him to grow into that name, that he would grow to be respectable and and wise and virtuous, okay? And we don't just want it for him, we want it for ourselves, don't we? we? We want to be those things, respectful, wise, of noble character. And it's a really interesting adjective to describe the Bereans in that context because although today, you know, we have a, a wide middle class, at the time they really didn't have a significant middle class. So it's just lower class and nobility. And there's this really wide gap between them that everybody's conscientious of all the time. And it's really interesting that Luke uses that word to describe the Bereans because what sets them apart from everybody else, he's saying. What makes them jump from down here to up here is not the things that makes other people noble, like their wealth, their lineage, how much land they have. It's how they handle the word of God. I was reading one writer who was talking about this passage, and he said, He said what separated the riffraff from the royalty was how they handled the word of God. And I appreciate that. Now, here's the thing about the word of God, scripture. I have never, in in my years of ministry, in my adolescence as a kid, I don't think I have ever sat with a group of people or a person in my office who looked at me and told me, Eric, I'm 100% satisfied with how much I read God's word. I'm super satisfied with my Bible reading regimen. We can talk about other things, but not that I'm good there. Like, I've never sat with anybody who said that. Usually it's like, how are you doing? Oh, okay, things could be better. How's your prayer life? I'm not praying much. You ever read scripture? Not as much as I want to. I know I need to read it more. Like, how many of you have been in that spot? Right, probably most of you have been there before. Okay, me too, me too. Even somebody whose life is about God's word, I find myself often wishing, oh, I want to be in it more it would be good for me to be there more so today I want to talk about how and why we read Scripture and do it well that's what this morning's about so let's start with a really simple truth this morning you'll see it in the passage itself like if, if you've got your Bible open in front of you and you're looking at it, there's two words there that are worth paying attention to the word received and the word believed you see those two words there what's really interesting is that the distance between those two words, received and believed, just the practical distance in the sentences, is representative of a deep truth of our lives. And that is that there is a significant distance between receiving God's word and believing it in your heart. That the two are not necessarily the same thing. Jesus talks about this. Jesus tells a parable. You'll remember this. It's of a farmer, he's scattering seed, and he goes around scattering the seed all over his farm. Some of the seed falls on hard ground, and birds swoop in, and they eat it before it even takes root. And Some of it falls in this rocky soil over here, and it starts to sprout up, but since it's so rocky, the roots can't go deep, and so it withers and dies. And then some of the seed gets choked by these thorns, okay? They just choke it out before it grows tall. Only some of the seed actually grows tall. And Jesus talks about it. He says this, look, this is in Luke 8. He says, the seed is the word of God. That's what we're talking about this morning. The ones along the path are those who have heard or received it. But then the devil comes and he takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You see the distance there between hearing it or receiving it and believing it? Okay, he goes on, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a little while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit doesn't mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast with an honest and good heart and they bear fruit with patience. You see what he's saying? He's saying there is actually a big distance between receiving or hearing God's word and actually coming to believe it deeply in your life so that your life grows as a result of it and bears the fruit that God wants. And it's in that distance between receiving it and believing it that you are at risk or in danger, that your faith can fall away in the distance between those two things. Let me give you an example. One of my favorite preachers tells a story. Uh, years ago, he was preaching, and one day, a 15-year-old girl from their church stops by the church and asks to talk to him. And she says that she's been deeply depressed, doesn't want to get out of bed, very discouraged. Okay. And uh, at the time, he's a, really, a brand-new minister, and he doesn't know what to do with this, and so he, he recalls his seminary training, and he says, okay, honey, Let's count your blessings. Let's count your blessings. And so they start going through all the things that God has done for her. And there's all kinds. It's a long list of things that God has done for her. And finally, she stops him. And she says, listen, I know, I know. I know Jesus died for me. I know he forgives me of my sins. I know I'm gonna go to heaven one day. But what does that matter to me if not a single boy in high school will even look at me? I just want you to think about what she said there. Okay, because... There's two things that rise up in my heart. First is I'm deeply sympathetic for her. It is so hard to be a teenager. Amen. And secondly, it's a reflection that she has heard God's word and her value and worth. What Jesus Christ has done for her. She has heard that her whole life. And that has the capacity to change how she thinks and feels about herself. And it's not. Why? The distance between receiving it and believing it. Do you understand? Okay, we want not just to receive it, but believe it. How do we do that? Let me give you three principles this morning. First principle, I want to be eager. I want to be eager for God's word. I want to be eager for God's word. Look again at the Bereans. Biblically, this is what it says. The Bereans, they received the message with great eagerness. Literally, it sometimes reads with a readiness of mind. Their minds or their hearts were ready to receive this. Uh, Okay, let me do a show. Well, let's not do a show of hands. I don't want to do that. In your heart, raise your hand. If if the first thing you do in the morning is check your phone. Don't actually raise your hands and your hearts. Okay. Or if you're at a stoplight, even though you're trying not to text while you're driving and you shouldn't, you're at a stoplight, this is your chance. Yeah. You're at a line in the grocery store and you're checking it. Okay. You're on vacation. You've put an out of office reply on your email that you will not be checking your email and you are still checking your email multiple times a day on vacation? Anybody willing to admit in their heart that they do this? Why? Why do we go compulsively to our phone? Well, partly it's addiction, but probably also we go compulsively because we have trained ourselves to believe that I'm going to discover something on my phone when I swipe it open that is relevant to me and even necessary for me to see. Whether it's a text message, whether it's a you know, a tweet from someone, a news blast, that what I'm going to find here is necessary and relevant to me. Okay. We could talk a long time about that compulsion, but let me just say this. I want to come to God's word even more expectant or eager that I'm going to find something there that's for me, that I need to hear, that is relevant and necessary to me. Let me give you an example. You remember the story in Acts of the Ethiopian eunuch. He's a single guy, He's he's not a Jew, but he loves the Lord. And so he's traveled a great distance to Jerusalem on a chariot. He's on his way back to Africa. And the whole way on the way back, he's reading his Bible. The thing is, he can't even make sense of it. He doesn't even understand it until Philip comes and explains it. Why is he reading it? He's convinced, as hard as it is sometimes to understand, he's going to find something in here that's about him. That he needs to hear. And so he's reading it eagerly, expectantly. I want to come to God's word. Whether that's coming to church to hear a sermon, whether it's cracking open the Bible in the morning, I want to come to God's word eager. In eager expectation, I'm going to hear something from me. Uh, There's this little bracelet. Maybe some of you have this. It's called a whoop strap. And um, what it does is you sleep with it on and then in the morning, in the morning, it tells you how well rested you are and so how ready you are for exercise. Have, have any of you seen this? Okay, I'm not marketing this thing. Last week, I talked about Dairy Queen and after church, I'm, I'm, I can't tell you how many people texted me to tell me, hey, I went and got a Dairy Queen blizzard after church. Okay, I'm not marketing this thing and I, I talked about more than Dairy Queen blizzards last week, but I love that, that idea of some kind of device that lets me know, am I ready for this? And I wish there was something spiritually like that. Do I do, I do a little heart check before I'm coming to church in the morning on Sunday? Uh, when I get up in the morning to read God's word, do I do a heart check? For me, here's what I do to make sure my heart's ready. I do three things every morning. I get up early, Jesus rose early. I think that's important. I get up early and then I make coffee and then I pray and then I read God's word. And what I've discovered is if I, skip, if I skip any of those steps, especially coffee, I'm usually not ready. I'm not eagerly expecting that I'm going to find something there for me. And it just kind of goes in one ear, out the other. I want to do a heart check and ask myself, am I eager for this? I want to be eager for God's word. Principle number one. All right, number two I want to examine God's word deeply. I want to examine God's word deeply. I don't want to stay up here in the shallows. I want to examine God's word deeply. Look again at the Bereans. Look what it says. They received the message or the word with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. When I was in senior year of college, I was dating this girl, Lindsay, and uh, I really wanted to marry her. And everybody told me, you have to buy her an engagement ring. And uh, it turns out those are really expensive. And uh, so I was working this terrible job. I was in the call center at a hospital. People would call and tell me I want steak and ice cream. And I'd have to tell them, well, your dietary plan says you can have um, sugar-free jello and water. You know, it's the worst job ever. But I was doing it to make money for this engagement ring. So I go to the diamond guy. I sit down there, I've got all my money with me, and I sit down in front of the diamond guy, and he's got this black tablecloth laid out on a table, and I'm sitting down there with him, and he gets this little black velvet bag out, and he just dumps these diamonds out in front of me, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of diamonds. And I remember being kind of unimpressed, thinking to myself, like, I don't know if this is worth it. These all look exactly the same to me. She's worth it? I don't know if these are. And I'll never forget, he gets this magnifying glass out for me, and he's like, okay, 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 let's look at these a little bit closer. And then I start turning them over in the magnifying glass, looking at them really closely, and they sparkle in the light. And each one of them's different and brilliant. And at that moment, this, the spirit inside of me changed. I went from kind of regretting being there to wanting to buy her the best one I could get, you know, spending more than I had to get her that diamond because I saw how valuable it was. Does that make sense to you? I think the same thing is is true with scripture. Examine means to judge it really deeply. That word examine is the same word that's used for how Pilate judges Jesus. And you may remember when Pilate examines Jesus, he discovers this guy's innocent. He's a good dude. He doesn't deserve to die. And that's the principle that Luke says the Bereans were practicing about God's word. They would examine it every single day. And they would turn it over to try to discover its brilliance and what it meant for them. So let me give you the two questions I ask every time I open the Bible. Every time I'm working on a sermon or every time I'm working just devotionally for myself, I ask these two questions of Scripture. If you're a note taker, you might write these down. Two questions. What does this say about God and what does this say about me? Two questions, pretty easy. What does this say about God what does it say about me? And I think what you'll find is that you, the more you turn over a single passage, the more brilliant the answers to those two questions become. Let me give you another example. I've spent the whole year thinking about five words for me, okay? I've read other passages of Scripture this year. But I've spent every single morning time with these five words. Let me show you these five words that come from 2 Corinthians 4. For what we preach, this is why it's significant to me, to me, excuse me, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as, here's the five words, your servants for Jesus' sake. Your servants for Jesus' sake. And the reason I keep thinking about that. One, it's the calling, I think, on those who share the gospel. But it's really simple to think about what it means to be someone's servant for their sake. What does it mean to be somebody's servant for Jesus' sake? How does that look different? And what does it mean to really serve somebody? How does that change your calling and understanding of your own life if you think about that? And how is Jesus possibly glorified by what I say yes or no to when one of you call or email me, right? Like, how is Jesus, the king over all things, receiving glory? How is this for his sake? Do you, do you see how you just turn this thing over and it can come alive to you? The deeper I consider it, the more brilliant I see God's word. That shouldn't be a surprise to us. This is a passage you'll know. This is from Hebrews. Look at this, Hebrews 4. For the word of God, it's not dead. What is it? It's living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you let it, the word of God will flay your heart open. I put that passage right here in my notes, and I get a text message from a woman here at Highland, wonderful, saintly, godly woman, lost her husband a number of years ago, And has just dedicated herself to the church. I mean, she grieved really deeply, really went through a time of deep grief. But in coming out of that grief, just dedicated herself to the church and serving the church. She does special needs, VBS, she rocks babies in the nursery, just pours herself out to the church and maybe really importantly to God's word. And she sent me this text. The moment I put that Hebrews 4 passage in my notes, I get this text from her, so I just copied and pasted that text into my sermon, believing it was from God. And she said this. She said, you really have to watch to make sure your heart doesn't get hard. When a person has a closed-up heart and doesn't want to receive those things from God, they are not going to. Man, how right she is. I want to come to God's word eagerly, and I want to examine it deeply, deeply, for the sake of my heart. Which leads us to this third principle: How does the word go from being received to believed? Last one: I want to engage God's Word daily, daily. Look again at the Bereans. They examine the scriptures every day. How many of you have, at some point in your life, you have committed to a workout regimen that lasted one day? Many of you have done this before? Uh, Lindsay's training for a marathon right now. She went out and ran 14 miles this weekend. I'm so proud of her. She's running every single day. Well, we were on vacation a couple months ago. I like to ride my bike. I don't run. And um, I didn't take a bike, though, on vacation. So she's getting up every morning on vacation and running. And the whole time, I'm just eating fried food, right? That's all I'm doing on vacation. And so I started feeling kind of guilty and self-conscious. So I decided I'm going to go for a run. And I go out on this run, I kind of limp along, I make it back and she's like, baby, I'm so proud of you. For the rest of vacation, I was sore. The rest of vacation, my feet hurt, my legs hurt, I was miserable the rest of the time, okay? And so I never ran since, like I haven't run since. And I don't think any of you should probably, all right? how many of you have done that? You've committed to a workout regimen, you've done it one time, and then you, you kind of drop out. Well, I think God's word is kind of like a workout regimen, that typically it doesn't work on us just one time. Now, there's certainly examples where it has. I think about King Josiah. You may remember this story from the Old Testament. The word of God's been lost for a really long time among the people of Israel, and one of the priests, he's kind of going through the archives in the temple, and he finds it, Okay. And he brings out the word of God and he's like, Josiah, we've kind of forgotten about this. He reads it to him, and on the first reading, Josiah tears his robes and just cuts him to the heart. Maybe you know the story of Augustine, one of the great church fathers. He's living this wild life far from the Lord, and one day he's in a garden, and there in a garden bench is a Bible. And he hears this voice saying to him, Pick up and read. And he's like, No, nah, I'm not going to do that. And it comes back again, Pick up and read. So he picks it up, he opens to Romans 13, and there in Romans 13, Paul's describing the very things he's doing, and he's cut to the heart. So sometimes, I think the Bible will come to us just just in that singular way. It'll just hit us once, and that'll be enough. But I think, you tell me if I'm wrong, I think generally, our hearts are resistant to conviction or direction when we, when we receive it a single time. Do you think I'm right? I think generally our hearts are resistant to conviction or direction when we just receive it once. What about the rich young man? You know this story? He comes to Jesus, wants to be with Jesus, and so Jesus is like, no big deal. Here's the thing you gotta do. You gotta sell everything you have and come and follow me. And the rich young man's like, no, I don't think I'm gonna do that. Because it comes to him once, and he rejects it. Think in your mind, think in your mind for a second about the people you respect most in this world, whose faith you admire most. My guess is they read their Bible every day. That would be my guess. But it's the return, it's the diet of God's word every day that changes our hearts over time. So let me throw these three principles up there, and I want to end just with a reminder here. If I want God's word to move from being just received to believed in my life, if I want direction, consolation, guidance, conviction in my life, then I need to be in God's word. I need to be there eagerly, be eager for God's word, number one. I want to examine God's word deeply, and I want to engage God's word daily. Those three things, eager for God's word, eager for God's word, examine God's word deeply, engage God's word daily. Okay, Um, I try to avoid cliches like the plague and, um, all right, all right, for for late service, that joke is not your best. And maybe you've heard the cliche before that uh, a Bible that's falling apart probably belongs to someone who isn't, okay? That's great. It's great. I agree with it. The only reason I I would risk repeating that cliche this morning is because I found an article the other day, stumbled across it, that was a play on that cliche, and the article was was titled, When My Life Fell Apart, I Needed a Bible That Wouldn't. It was written by a woman, middle-aged woman, who 10 years previous, her infant son had passed. A few years after that, she herself was diagnosed with a condition that was life-threatening. And then two years after that, her husband left her. And so here she is caring for two children on her own, still deeply grieved over her loss, feeling all alone, all alone. And she said what she wanted then was a quick fix. She just kept going to meet with people, and she hoped that every single person she met with would say the thing that kind of snapped her out of it and lifted her out of it, and nobody knew the thing to say. And so she said, I didn't know what else to do, so I started reading scripture, and at first it felt like homework, it felt like a chore, but it just felt like maybe I should do this thing. But she said, the more I read it, the less it felt like homework and the more it felt like life to me. She said, I found the words of Jeremiah to be so true. Your words were found, I ate them, and your words became to me joy and the delight of my whole life, she said. She said, I was so thankful when my world fell apart that the word of God wouldn't. And I pray that you would be people who give yourself to God's word for Jesus' sake and glory because we need it. We need it. Let me pray over you. God, I'm so thankful for your people this morning. Would you bind them together by your spirit? Would you, through your word, point them to your son, Jesus? May he speak into their life through your words every day. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.